0: Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. My name is Erin Herman. I've been coming to City Church for about 10 years now, and it's my pleasure to serve on the teaching team here at City Church. I hail from the wild world of Northern Virginia. I grew up driving on 66, made it out of there, came to UVA, and I've been here ever since. And my husband and I were just talking about, you know, we really consider it a privilege of our lives to be here at City Church, and to learn more about God, and to explore together what it means to live under his care and his provision. So I'm thrilled to be with you here this morning as we talk about the kingdom. Last year, we walked through the biblical theme of the kingdom of God, what is it? And this year, we'll be talking about the kingdom of God, how do you live in it? The kingdom of God is so central to Jesus' teaching that scholars and commentators say that if you miss the kingdom of God, you're really missing what Jesus is talking about altogether. And so as we explore this foundation of Jesus' teaching, we'll walk through a passage all through 2023 called the Sermon on the Mount. Well, a few weeks ago, Peter Hartwig challenged us that if we know other ideologies more than we know the Sermon on the Mount, um, then we should really reconsider that. And so I'm proud to tell you this morning that I know less about the Super Bowl than I know about the Sermon on the Mount. Although (laughs) I do know we're, I've got it, Chiefs, Eagles, Arizona, Rihanna. So I'm ready to go. I'll be celebrating with my life group tonight. All right, well, Sermon on the Mount gives us an understanding of the vision Jesus gives us for the kingdom over which he is the king. And it's right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount that we hear the Lord's Prayer, the kingdom prayer that Jesus teaches his followers to pray. And we've been saying it every week at City Church, so I'll have you join with me as we say the Lord's Prayer together. Would you stand with me? This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father, who is in heaven... Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. Have you guys noticed that each week as we say that, we sound a little bit more like Pete when he says it? The emphasis on the right syllable, you know? Um All right, so the Sermon on the Mount starts at the end of Matthew chapter four where Matthew begins to tell his listeners about the ministry of Jesus. So we'll dive into Matthew four if you have your Bibles with you this morning. And Matthew sets this scene where we read that there are large crowds following Jesus. It says in Matthew 4, 25, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed Jesus. Now without context, you can really quickly gloss over these details, and it can sound as like, familiar to you as you know people from Charlottesville, Palmyra, Crozet, they're all gathered at the downtown pavilion. Well, that happens every week, we call it a concert. But when we're reading in, in scripture that these people are coming together, what Matthew is trying to tell you is that this has never happened before, that this is a new thing happening, it's kinda out of the ordinary and we should really pay attention. It's the moment, I'm a 90s kid, any other 90s kids in here? I know one of them. <laughs> um, as a 90s kid, you'll have to bear with me, but it's the moment in the story where we learn that Matilda can you know, move things with her mind. It's the opening scene in Harry Potter where we learn that the cat has human characteristics and we later find out that she's Professor McGonagall. It's those moments in the story that have us kind of like listen in a little bit more. What's going on here? Because this is new and it's strange. So this context is what sets the scene. And the disciples are there with Jesus thinking the same thing. Why are people from the Decapolis hanging out with people from Jerusalem? What's so compelling about Jesus that is bringing these people together? And they're thinking, you know, you know Jesus, I've really enjoyed hanging out with you. It's been really cool. You're teaching me some really great things. I, I can't deny that things are happening in my life because I'm I'm spending time with you. I'm learning things that are new here, but... How am I supposed to go back to my family and tell them who I've been hanging out with today? What am I supposed to say to people? Do you know what people are gonna think about us when they hear what we've been up to? Is this gonna continue to happen if I'm spending more time with you? Is this what my life is gonna look like? I I can't imagine that this is gonna end well. What is the deal with these crowds of, of pagans? And so we have this picture of Jesus looking out at the crowds of the people that are following him. And he pulls his disciples aside and he says, I'm going to clue you in on what's happening here. We're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about my vision for the kingdom of God that I'm bringing into the world. And so as Jesus lays this out for them, he starts with a list of blesseds, A part of his teaching you may know now as the Beatitudes. And we've been walking through them each week in this series, starting in Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And our focus for this morning, Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Maybe you've been coming to City Church over the last few weeks, and you've heard Pete and Peter reiterate this point, that these aren't things that make you blessed. In other words, they're not a list of to-dos, but rather they're a list of announcements of God's blessing on these groups of people that would have been overlooked. Let me ask you, and I'll be transparent with, with what I've been thinking the past few weeks, I've been like, wow, I'm really having to rewire what I've heard about these things. And I'm kind of getting into it week by week. I'm like, yeah, you know, I think Pastor Pete's right. I think he's onto something here. Has anybody else kind of been rewiring what kind of feels like the default setting of thinking, yeah, this is what I need to do in order to be blessed. So I've been unwinding these ideas and I'm like, okay, yeah, I got you. I don't really wanna mourn I don't really wanna be in a place where I've been you know, crying so hard that my body hurts. I, I don't really wanna be spiritually destitute, hunched over spiritually, as Pete said. I don't really want to be longing for a righteousness that I can't see. I don't wanna be you know, looking at the world always disappointed that it, it's not actually just, not actually good. Yeah, okay, I don't think that these are a list of to-dos. I do get this, that these are the people who will be comforted, who will be raised up, and who will be honored in the upside-down kingdom. Okay, I'm tracking. But then I get to this one, and I think blessed are the peacemakers. I'm like, Mom, I'm pretty sure I love peace, you know? I'm pretty sure I love being under my like cozy blanket with my little orange pandemic cat's and drinking a cup of tea. I'm pretty sure I like going into my closet and seeing it organized by color. I know that my husband, you know, he gets a plate of fries that look like pickup sticks and he orders them right up. And, you know, he likes that order and peace. Like, what do you mean we don't like to be peacemakers? I don't like to fight. Well, I think that there's something deeper here that, that the Lord is asking us to look into. So we're gonna look at the word of peacemaker. You'll find in Matthew that he uses the Greek word Irene for peace. I thought this was the root word of my name, Aaron, but turns out it's not. It's just my name means Ireland, which you can tell from my complexion. Irene is a word really close in meaning to the Hebrew word shalom. This is a really rich theological word for peace. When Jesus is talking about shalom or irene, he's talking not just about the absence of conflict, but he's talking about putting the world back together the way it was intended. He's looking forward to a kingdom where there are no more tears, there is no more striving, a place of wholeness. And in particular, he's talking about a wholeness between people, a wholeness that is promised in the fulfillment of God's kingdom. And so that makes a lot more sense when we look back at this picture that Matthew gives us of these crowds that are following Jesus and his disciples that are sitting right in front of him. These groups that would have never associated with one another, they're sitting in a spot in history that's intensely polarized. And even in this group of disciples, we know that, that right here is represented people who don't really like each other. They do not get along. And so, in this context, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, with the implication that people that are deeply committed to his kingdom are also deeply committed to relationship with one another. You'll see this reflected in the words of Paul in his letter to the Romans. He writes, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Yeah, so so Jesus doesn't think it's going to be an easy thing and neither does Paul. He continues to instruct his churches to pursue irene, to pursue peace with one another. Why is this not natural? Why is it so difficult? Well, throughout the word of God, we get this picture of of relationship, long-lasting relationship between humans. And one image that we get is marriage. People love a wedding, right? Everyone's dressed up to celebrate. There's food, there's dancing. There's always a flower girl and a ring bearer that never seem to be able to get down the aisle without mom or dad, like, helping them, getting them in the right direction. We love it. But the moment that we're there for, the moment that causes people, brings people to tears, the moment where their room goes silent, is what? Yes, the bride walks in the room, and then the vows, the vows, the center point of of a wedding. This moment is joyful and it's incredibly sobering, this mix of beautiful and so heavy. I've been married for a couple years now, my husband's name is Zach. If you know Zach, he's so great, he's smart, he's lovely. He's kind of a babe, and yeah, I love love being married. I love being married to him, Um, but when we sit at a wedding together watching two people making this lifelong promise to one another, I'm also reminded of the sacrifice that long-lasting relationships have to be able to endure. Before I got married, when I heard people talking about how long they'd been married to each other, like five years, 10 years, I'd be like, Okay, cool, yeah, that's great. Love to hear more about your bio. But then I got to my first anniversary, and it kind of hit me how long I had been with this person and how long I would be with this person. And so when people started saying like 10, 20 years, I'd be like, <laughs> Why? You know, why was that, you know? <laughs> I've said it again, I really love my husband, but yeah. In this relatively short time that we've been married, we've already endured so many things. We've compromised for what we want for the sake of the other person. We've experienced the heartache of really misunderstanding each other. We've taken on each other's baggage, each other's imperfections, and we've said really painful words to one another that sting long after they've been said. Sometimes those things come out of our blindness to one another. And sometimes they're intentional, and we actually use what we know about each other to know what will cut deep. And yet, as God upholds our promises to one another, he also teaches us how to come back into shalom, to come back into a right relationship with each other and make wholeness. This kind of commitment is so profound, This, this these this wedding vow is so profound because it brings us to the place in our hearts that we, when we really know that bringing shalom, fighting for wholeness in relationships is deeply connected to the risk of difficult things happening. And let me be clear, it's, it's not just in marriage. It's in every relationship that we have, ones that will last, ones that look beyond today to tomorrow Ones that have a hope for something better. This is the kind of relationship that God calls us to. And so when we talk about peacemaking, we're talking about wholeness of relationship with people. And people are finite and people are flawed. Even in the best ones, we're going to find ourselves hurt and embarrassed and shamed. And it's going to take some supernatural strength and we'll We'll get to that, but some really supernatural strength to be vulnerable enough to tell someone when we're hurt or embarrassed. And forgiveness actually puts us in a place where we're risking being hurt again. And so in any relationship with your best friend or with a stranger, you can, you can know pretty, pretty confidently that there's going to be this work of making peace. Peace i really come to think that the only way we can ever say I forgive you and mean it is because we're not just trusting the person that sits in front of us. We're trusting that God will be our strength no matter what happens. If we're disappointed or we're hurt again, we can trust on him to stand in that gap for us, to be our provider and our protector. And from that place, we actually have this spirit-filled ability to push back against the darkness, to push back against the hurt, and actually make more of it, make more peace. Have you ever heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people? It's true, it's, it's a nice little pithy phrase, but we actually get to turn that around. We actually get to give back more than we got. We actually get to take on things and return peace. We get to be peacemakers. And I wanna remind ourselves that as we think about who Jesus is talking to here, he's not talking about the easiest of relationships to have peace across. He's not just asking us to remain in our safe spot of having good relationships with people who look like us or talk like us, have the same education as us, same interests as us, same resources as us. He's asking us to make Peace in this vision for his disciples where all are welcome, where every tribe and tongue will worship the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings in his coming kingdom. What is that going to take? So it seems that this rabbi Jesus is asking for partners in his coming kingdom that will be seriously committed to this work of making peace. So peacemaking makes the list. I got that. Check. Because peace can be as painful to us sometimes as mourning or as seeking righteousness. But let's get to that second part. Why does Jesus say, for they will be called children of God? Well, honestly, who's going to celebrate us when we make peace? It turns out nobody really likes a peacemaker, it's not actually cool. Outside of the kingdom, we find really limited options for how to move through this kind of relational pain. We are told in the world that when someone hurts us, we need to get what's ours and we need to get out. And I'll go a step further. I think there's a real trend in our culture that not only should we do that, but on our way out, we should shame and embarrass and take them down too. We should return the hurt, tell them the hurt, and let everybody know about it. Am I right? But I think that Jesus is clear that if you're committed to this kind of peacemaking, you're not gonna be praised by your peers. It's gonna be the opposite. He's asking of people to include the Gentiles. He's asking people to forgive. These things look foolish to people. They look weak. And so God is actually saying, you're doing this for an audience of one. You'll be called a child of God, and who's calling you that? Your Heavenly Father. I remember in college, there were a couple like really difficult academic tracks that people were on for the UVA students here. It was called COM School. and Com School is Business School. And I remember we had a friend. His name was — I'll call him Jack. His name was Jack. (Laughter) um, And he was crushing it and everybody knew it. Everyone else seemed to be staying up late night, studying and still not getting good grades on their tests. But Jack was like, it seemed to be a breeze for him. And I was like, listen, Jack, pulled him aside. I was like, don't be humble. Just tell me how are you doing so much better in your classes than everybody else? And why does it look easy for you? And he was like, okay, Aaron, well, it's because my dad talks about this stuff at home all the time. Like, he's a business guy, and he talks about this around the dinner table. This is what he's interested in, and he always talks about it. And I was like, that makes sense. I won't be doing well in comm school. Just kidding. I didn't, wasn't in the comm school. Um, that makes so much sense that what we see our parents do is what we do. And so when, when God calls peacemakers children of God, it's because they're following the Prince of Peace. This is our Heavenly Father, so I wonder if the call here is not just to you know, know our Heavenly Father and to be filled with His Spirit to do this peace, but also talk about it as the body of Christ, as the children of God together, that we would continue to walk in that family resemblance, take up this family business of peacemaking, and continue to show this to the world. What does this mean for you? And what does this mean for today? I want to give you two kind of options as we close with feet to our faith. One is that I really believe that that we are called to make peace with God. And God, like seriously, no kidding, wants to make peace with you. Whether you're checking out faith or whether you've been here for a long time, if you feel out of alignment with God, if there is something that's pressing in on your heart, a burden that's, that's stopping you from actually experiencing the goodness and the peace of our Lord, there's something unique about the Christian faith where we're actually, we actually believe that God hears us in prayer, that we get to talk to him. And not only do we get to talk with him, but we actually get to talk honestly with him. So just a reminder today that he's not really afraid of your anger or your disappointment. He actually wants to hear from you about that. If there is something that's holding you back from trusting in him or believing in him, maybe it's time to open up a conversation. When you look at this scene, Jesus is talking to a hodgepodge group of guys standing in front of a random group of people groups. They're not random, but it's definitely a hodgepodge. And it's so clear that he's making the point here that the kingdom of God is available to all people. So do not count yourself out today that God would want to make peace with you. And then second and lastly is making peace with others. Who comes to mind this morning? As I was studying this passage, I was thinking, you know, peacemakers. Jesus turns things upside down. Jesus takes on the Roman Empire. Like Jesus like does this whole thing. Let's talk about it. And it's so true. The kingdom of God is here and now and it is changing Everything. But as I was thinking about it, you know, I was thinking I might be missing the point here that I can talk about this big piece, but if I'm out of sorts with the people that are right in front of me, my family members, my coworkers, my neighbors, my friends, my family, that I might be missing the point altogether that God actually wants us to be at peace right here, right now with the people that matter to us most. And I wonder how the Capital C Church and City Church could change the world if we were in right relationship right here, right now. That we could actually push back against the chaos starting right here with peace with God, peace with ourselves, and peace with others. In fact, Jesus tells us in John, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is our calling. So as I pray to close, I'm going to pray for God's peace here. And if you have a need this morning, I want to ask you to either put your hands in front of you or put your hands over your heart if you feel comfortable. If you have a need for this kind of peace, this kind of shalom that restores and reconciles and redeems, I want to pray for you this morning. So would you pray with me? Almighty God, Prince of Peace, Lord, we ask for your spirit to indwell here this morning. God, we can't do this without you. But Lord, you give us the bond of peace, the unity of your spirit, and we ask for that here today. God, I pray for everyone in this room who feels not at peace. Lord, that you would give us your peace that you would give us your strength, that you would fill us afresh with a hope for something beyond what we see today. God, I pray for reconciled relationships with you. Lord, I know that you care for us. Your scripture says it from the first page to the last, that you love us and you want us to be in your family, to be in your kingdom. So I ask for those that do not know you this morning or feel out of sorts with you, that they would experience you fresh this morning and that they would know your peace and your grace, your kindness and your love, in Jesus' name. God, I pray for everyone in this room who is experiencing a relational distress with a family member, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor. God, would you move in right there? Would you meet them where they are? Would they experience your goodness and your grace, Lord? Would you touch them now, Jesus, with the power of your spirit to be a peacemaker? not relying on themselves, but relying on you, God, the God of all comfort, the God of mercy and kindness, to make a way where there is not right now a way. Lord, we love you and we trust you for that in Jesus' name. So thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for this reminder that blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We thank you, God, that we get to take on your resemblance to know our Prince of Peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.